Blog Talk Radio. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? It's My Take Radio, episode 54, for Thursday, August 5th, 2010. Tonight's music was Street Fighter II, Frets of Fury. The artist was Vertex Guy, and you can get that and any of the other intro music used in previous episodes at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that number, 347-324-3541. All right. Before I get into housekeeping this week, I definitely want to acknowledge a couple of things. First off, we hit 1,000 downloads for the month of July. I was extremely happy to see that. It was really um, quite an accomplishment for My Take Radio since inception in 2006. There's always been that, that consistent growth that I've had the pleasure of watching and you know, delivering you guys content over, over the years, especially for the 2006 days when it wasn't broadcast live. I, I feel that the hard work is starting to pay off. There's more awareness out there for the show. And it's it, it it's fucking awesome. There, there's really no other no other words to describe it. After you know when you see a thousand downloads for the first time, it's like at least for me it was a culmination of so much work. You know between the site and the blog and trying to get a name out there and merchandising and advertising campaigns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's really great to see it all starting to pay off. A lot of people, you know, that have worked behind the scenes to help. Um, Slick, um, my fiance, Bronx, Mortis, wherever he is, um, Josh, all those guys, they've done a great, great thing in helping this come together. Of course, those guys that entered the ARC create an image for My Take Radio and conveyed that image to the masses. Uh, people like Nisi Ark, who's in the chat, um, shout out to her for putting in the work and put, giving suggestions and, you know, recommending guests. It's a culmination of a lot of work. I, I want to thank the fans, of course, for tuning in to hear my crazy rants every week. Um, like I said, I'm, ju I'm just proud for, to see 1,000 downloads, and I look forward to seeing 1,500, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 to the point where at some point people take more notice than they already have. It's, like I said, something I'm very proud of. And, again, I appreciate it, and I want to thank all you guys, of course, from the bottom of my little black heart. Um, in some other news, the 3.0 site update hit a bit of a snag. Um, not so much from the theme standpoint. We kind of already have a theme um, if you want to see what the theme is going to look like, you can head over to the 
My Take Radio forums. It's mytakeradio.com slash forums. Uh, right now, uh, of course, right when we settle on a theme, two new themes seem to pop up, which may actually change things a little bit. I may actually put images for the three themes we're looking at on the forum and possibly on the fan page and allow you, the fans, to um, to make a decision and help out with that. It's just been really tough. The advertising campaign has been working really well. We're at 245 fans on the Facebook fan page. Again, um, just a lot of work and more people coming in and more awareness. Uh, the Twitter campaign is fantastic. I'm interacting with a lot of different people, setting up a lot of potential contacts, some of which will be developing in the coming weeks. Um, I've reached out to Stan Lee, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, uh, Eli Roth, just, just to see. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? They don't respond? Fuck it. But at least those are some, some things in the pipe I'm trying to work at. Um, in regards to something else I'm using Twitter for, it's for the quiet campaign against G4. Um, it started, of course, over the last few days, of course, with my post on mytakeradio.com and just a couple of little veiled Twitter messages thrown their way. Um, one thing of note that I actually did today was that they wanted to talk about what you did while Twitter was down today. My response was, um, while Twitter was down, I took the opportunity to come up with new and unique programming that can be fair, that can be shown on G4 instead of cheaters, cops, and the always popular predator. And of course, I use the hashtag AOTS for Attack of the Show. Why? Don't give a shit. That's pretty much it. I I've come to the realization that I take a lot of pride in delivering you guys an honest view on stuff. I don't sugarcoat it. There's no fanboy shit. It's just look. This sucks. This is good. You know, fuck these guys. Fuck this show. This movie sucks. There, there's no, there's no agenda. There's no trying to get noticed. I mean, if I am, I want to be noticed for being what I am and what the show encompasses, not this bullshit that they throw on TV and all over the web. In regards to that, like I said, the Twitter campaign is slowly picking up steam. I'm starting to notice more people kind of responding to me in regards to that. So. Who knows, it may develop into something bigger, but on a totally separate note, I have thought of other original programming that can be shown on G4, um, things like you know behind the scenes on making certain games, you can do a history of Comic-Con, you can do a documentary on, on Nintendo, you can talk about the evolution of certain consoles, how gaming has impacted um, society as a whole from mainstreaming to the early stages. You can do spotlights on arcades. You can do the Evo tournament and various other tournaments that you can showcase on the network. Um, and it doesn't all have to be game-related. You can go into PC stuff, comics. There's so much original programming that can be made. It, it's insane. It, it really is. And you can throw at least, I can come up with at least, I'd say 18 hours of original programming per day. In, in between that, if you want to throw some fluff, you can throw different movies, comic movies, action movies. You can do, you know, the G4 movie of the week, shit like that. So, of course, you know, that's in the back burner. And there's also a new segment I'm working on. I've been discussing it with Slick, and I'm actually going to probably have some audience participation. Um, it's going to be called the Minority Film Report. 
I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, needless to say, it's coming together within the next few weeks, and you'll start seeing the Minority Film Report reviews on either MyTakeRadio.com or they actually may be audio-based for the MyTakeRadio app, so you'll be able to listen to those exclusively through the MyTakeRadio app or possibly through the website. Still in the final stages. Also in regards to the app, which I haven't really talked about in the last few weeks because there's been a migration with Libsyn, I actually have to get with a couple of artists to make different things for the app, wallpapers, um, icons, things like that. i got a couple of things already in the works, and I'll have more details on that next week. Of course, you know the deal with the ads. You know the deal with the donation button. The forums are always there. New posts. Uh, my fiance put up a new post this week. Slick actually put up a really good MMA post regarding the Roger Huerta situation, which I'm going to be discussing. Um, there was also a bit of a discussion about Smallville that was posted up as well. You can check that out on MyTakeRadio.com. A rundown for tonight's topics. We're going to talk about UFC on Versus and some of the fights from that card. The lead-up to UFC 117, which is this Saturday on pay-per-view. What does MC Hammer have to do with MMA? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, of course, the Roger Huerta situation on TMZ. I'm going to give you my thoughts on Monday Night Raw and the impending hardcore justice pay-per-view that's coming up this weekend. We're going to talk some games. We got some what-the-fuck movie news with a couple of crazy films that are coming out. Um, a couple of casting news that may surprise you. And with that said, let's get right into the MMA segment first. First off, of course, as I said, MC Hammer and MMA, you ask yourself, what do both things have to do with each other? Well, it seems that Stanley Burrell, a.k.a. MC Hammer, announced today that he was going to be starting up a management company called Alchemist Management, and he was going to be getting into the representation of MMA athletes. He said, and I quote, I've been a fan of combat sports for years. MMA is the fastest growing sport in the world, and this is a great opportunity for us to launch a full-service management company. Hammer will be the CEO of Alchemist with Lex McMahon and Nima Safapur joining the company as president and vice president of business affairs and general counsel, respectively. Already signed to the company, names like Nate Marquardt, Vladimir Matyshenko, Jorge Rivera, Jared Hammond, Anthony Hardonk, James McSweeney, and Tim Kennedy. Most of those names were previously managed by Sakopor and McMahon, so, of course, the transition to this new management company, Alchemist Management, is a no-brainer. I honestly have no issue with this, just the thing where, in, in a way, it kind of feels that people are dipping their toes into the business side of MMA, and it's, like I said, it's good and bad for the sport. If you're sticking your your toes in the pool, so to speak, for the right reasons and to help grow the sport. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's in it to make money, but to help grow the sport, I have no issue with it. And, I mean, good management companies always help um, the representation of athletes, and, of course, they'll help with sponsorships and, of course, negotiation of money. So we'll see how it pans out. Of course, I wish him the best of luck. We all know MC Hammer hasn't exactly been doing well financially and it seems that he's on the right track with a solid business idea, so I wish him the best of luck. Uh, UFC on Versus, of course, was this past Sunday, and let me tell you, I really expected the card to be kind of lackluster for a couple of reasons. I mean, there was promotion behind the card, but not on the level of 
Son and Silver for UFC 117. But let me tell you, UFC on versus two was fantastic. The first fight was Tyson Griffin against Takanori Gomi, the Fireball Kid. Um, I'm a huge Gomi fan. He's a he is a real problem after his lackluster performance against Kenny Florian. I was definitely looking forward to him fighting again, hoping that he kind of got the rust off and made an adjustment to fighting in the cage. Uh, round one, Gomi came out southpaw. Uh, he did a little bit of body work, and Griffin came out and got Gomi with a right hook. It was back and forth. It was a right hook by Gomi, and Griffin was down in round one, and Gomi just beat the fuck out of him. Of course, Griffin got up and protested the stoppage, but it was very legit. He got caught with the flash KO, and he was wobbly when he got up. So Gomi ended up winning that fight by KO in the first via punches. Uh, the welterweight fight with John Howard and Jake Ellenberger, I really was pulling for John Howard. I really liked his last fight that he had against Daniel Roberts on UFC on versus one. Um, Ellenberger came in there and he put that work, and they actually ended up, Ellenberger ended up winning the fight by TKO Dr. Stoppage in round three. It seems that um, his eye, you know, the swollen eye of Howard definitely was not allowing him to see as well as he could to continue fighting, so the doctors ended up stopping the fight, and Ellenberger won via doc, Dr. Stoppage. Uh, one of the lightweight fights on the prelims was Darren Elkins and Charles Oliveira. Um, I haven't seen Oliveira or Elkins fight, so I actually didn't make a, make a pick for the fight, but um, Oliveira ended up winning with a really slick armbar in round one. I actually thought that he was going to go with the triangle first, but he ended up switching to the arm bar, and Elkins tacked 41 seconds into round one. Mark Munoz and Yushinakami, another great fight. I was really pulling for Mark Munoz. I like his style. The guy's a fantastic fighter. He was coming off the TKO victory over T Kendall Grove at UFC 112, and Okami was coming in with a TKO victory over Lucio Linares at uh, Fight Night 21. Uh, Big John McCarthy made his return to the cage for that fight. And it actually ended up being Okami taking the fight by decision, by split decision. Um, I was really surprised. I was kind of, I kind of had it going towards Munoz, but in reading some of the reports online, I can see where people were kind of leaning towards Okami. Nonetheless, it was a great fight for both guys. Yushin Okami's talking about title um, aspirations, and I think that his performance against Munoz wasn't very definitive in terms of justifying a title shot, but I think if he gets one more fight and has a solid performance, you can definitely be giving him a look for a middleweight title fight. The light heavyweight main event was, of course, Vladimir Matyshenko versus John Bones Jones. I'm a huge John Jones fan. Kid is fantastic. Young kid, agile, athletic, has a huge reach. He came in there. I expected the fight to go at least two rounds. First round, he got all over Matyshenko, got him to the ground, and it was just raining elbows to the face. Matyshenko couldn't even answer, given the fact that he was caught in what's called a crucifix position, and it was just raining elbows, so the ref stopped it. So John Jones wins via TKO with elbows in a minute and 52 seconds in round one. Of course, after the fight, the main thing, of course, was trying to get John Jones to say who he wanted to fight next. Um, he respectfully declined making that sort of a challenge. He actually said that he wanted to leave it in Joe Silva's hands, which is a very respectable thing of, for him to do. Uh, one thing he did mention, though, and he did mention it, I believe it was on SportsCenter as well, 
it seems that James Tony's been talking shit about John Jones as well, and John Jones actually said that he wouldn't might he wouldn't mind fighting James Tony first. So I think that that's definitely something to look out for. I think John Jones and Tony would be an interesting fight, given the unique striking style of Jones and of course the ridiculous boxing skills of James Tony. But James Tony needs to get past Randy Couture first, and that's going to happen next month in Boston. This coming weekend, of course, August 7th, is the Anderson Silva-Chael Sonnen fight. I actually got to see a press conference for that fight today. Chael Sonnen has done a remarkably awesome job in selling this card. He's just been talking shit nonstop. Don't get me wrong. He's been talking shit the whole time leading up to the fight. But the fact of the matter is that Chael Sonnen... Is a, is, is, you're talking about a guy who's running to be, who, who's running for political office. He knows how to work the crowd. He knows what kind of sound bites need to get into the press. There's, there's actually a really hilarious thing going about with the, um, with the video series. I believe it's the most impressive man or the most impressive person. And they're actually spotlighting Chael Sonnen in these little video clips. I'm actually going to post them probably in the fan page for you guys to see it. They are very amusing, to say the least. Um, the card, top to bottom, I was not going to order it, but fuck, Chael and shit-talking has gotten to astronomical levels. He actually said that he wanted to throw Anderson Silva a retirement party after he beats him, or just all kinds of shit-talking that really sell a fight. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be the main event on the card for the 185-pound class. John Fitch and Thiago Alves, I'm a huge fan of the pit bull. John Fitch, uh, the winner of this fight, actually, as per Dana White, at the press conference, will be fighting the winner of Koscheck and GSP. John Fitch has gone on record saying that he would not fight Koscheck. It should be interesting to see what happens, whether he will go up a weight class if Koscheck beats GSP, or if he will take the title fight. So definitely something to watch for sure. Uh, Clay Guida fighting Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, great fight at 155. I'm a huge fan of Clay Guida. He, all his fights are always exciting, so that fight's going to be great to watch. The uh, Hall of Famer Matt Hughes will be fighting Ricardo Almeida. Almeida is coming in to um, get revenge for Matt Hughes' victories over Matt the Terracera and, of course, the one and only Henzo Gracie. So it should be interesting to see if Enzo Gracie's pupil can come in and do the job and whoop Matt Hughes' ass. Not 100% sure it's going to happen. I mean, Almeida has great jiu-jitsu, but Matt Hughes is Matt Hughes. He's a fucking Hall of Famer. He's got phenomenal wrestling, uh, great ground-and-pound offense. Definitely a fight that I can't even pick because it can go either way. Roy Big Country Nelson is going to be fighting Junior Dos Santos. Uh, the winner of this fight will be meeting the winner of Cain Velasquez and Brock Lesnar. Um, I'll tell you right now, if it's Lesnar versus Roy Nelson, it will be an interesting fight and a guaranteed pay-per-view order for me. So I'm going to be watching that fight with much interest. Uh, Dustin Hazlitt's going to be fighting Rick Story. Phil Davis is going to fight Rodney Wallace. Tim Bocek is going to fight Todd Brown. Johnny Hendricks and Charlie Brenneman. Uh, Stefan the Skyscraper Struve is going to be on the card. He's going to be fighting Christian Moorcraft. And Ben Killaby Saunders is going to be fighting Dennis Hallman. And that's going to be this Saturday on pay-per-view. I believe it will probably be 10 o'clock east, um, probably 7 in the west. Definitely 
if you're not sure, just like I said, look at the press conference, type in Chael Son and see some of his crazy sound bites. This is a guy who allegedly said that Lance Armstrong gave himself cancer. That was the soundbite that was all over the web today. He's, of course, gone on record saying that it wasn't him. Some people are saying it was. He's saying it was somebody else that looked like him. Just, just insanity. But I'll tell you what, it definitely is selling the fight, so props to them for that. In regards to the UFC on versus fights, there were actually a couple of bonuses handed out. Uh, Takanori Gomi got knocked out of the night, got himself a nice, cool $40,000. Uh, Charles Oliveira got submission of the night, and Brian Stan and Mike Masenzio got $40,000 fight of the night bonuses as well. In regards to the upcoming UFC, well, actually the UFC Fight Night 22, it turns out that Damian Maya actually got pulled from the card. His opponent, Alan Belcher, was pulled from the show because he has a detached retina. Um, taking the place of that is going to be Nate Marquardt fighting Rusamar Palhares as the main event. UFC Fight Night 22 is going to be September 15th, which is probably going to be the lead-in for the new season of The Ultimate Fighter. I actually got a preview video introducing the fighters for this season, and I will probably put it on the Facebook fan page and on MyTakeRadio.com at some point this weekend. Now, a little bit about this Roger Huerta situation. I actually was at work when I saw this. It was a video from TMZ. It seems that Roger Huerta was at a party and a very, very large black dude proceeded to punch a very small woman in the head, knocking her unconscious. At this point, uh, Roger Huerta, who was at the party, approached the guy pretty much, you know, asking him, why the fuck did you punch this girl in the back of the head? At which point the guy gave him some lip. Roger Huerta took his shirt off, because obviously you don't want the shirt to get pulled over your head and you get knocked the fuck out. And he proceeded to whoop the guy's ass, there's actually video, allegedly, of Roger Huerta stomping the guy out. Um, you can see the video for yourself on TMZ.com, or you can actually check out Slick's post on MyTakeRadio.com because he has video there as well. Um, of course, a lot of the people in the MMA community agreed with what Roger Huerta did, considering that the guy struck a woman, and on top of that, he actually swung first from what everybody's saying. Roger Huerta, of course, did the proper thing. You swing first, I'm fucking you up. Needless to say, the guy was left on the floor like a sack of potatoes. The chick was knocked unconscious. And afterwards, of course, there's police investigations being done. But TMZ actually ended up catching up with Roger Huerta, and they asked him about the fight. And um, he said the following, and I quote, Huerta said he tried to stay calm, but he had to do something after he saw a huge guy punch a girl in the head, adding, I just don't think that it's right to hit a woman, period. I approached the man calmly and said, do you know what you just did? You just knocked out this girl. But Huerta claims the other guy responded with, fuck you, fuck these bitches, I'll knock out any fucking bitch here that I want to. I'll fucking knock you out. I'll knock your bitch ass out right now. So, of course, Huerta added as he's saying this, I took off my shirt and said, all right, take your best shot. Huerta continued saying that he didn't throw the first punch. He only reacted after the guy started swinging. Needless to say, the guy's in a fucking heap of trouble for probably assault because the woman got knocked the fuck out. And Roger Huerta, of course, may actually be investigated for whooping this guy's ass as well. Nonetheless, I'm really hoping that no criminal charges are leveled against him. He was actually doing something very chivalrous. Sometimes 
when you do chivalrous things like that, it can go very badly. I've seen people get shot for shit like that. So, in a way, I'm glad it turned out well. Him stomping the guy out, if it was him, was really fucking crazy. Um, I'm more than sure at that point, adrenaline took over, and he just figured, I'm just going to keep beating the fuck out of this guy till he stops moving. So, definitely a very interesting mainstream story for the MMA fans this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, let's talk some wrestling. Actually, I want to talk a little bit about this crazy bit of news I got from Twitter earlier this week. I actually took the opportunity a while back and started following JBL. For those of you that aren't wrestling fans, JBL uh, used to wrestle with Ron Simmons. They were part of a tag team called the APA. Shortly thereafter, JBL ended up going into a singles career, which was very successful, and he also did announcing for WWE primarily on SmackDown. JBL or John Bradshaw Layfield or John Layfield actually posted on Twitter for the first time in a while that I've noticed. He said, and I quote, my last test was today after three months of worrying and doctor's visits. I got a clean bill of health today and no sign of cancer. So obviously, uh, JBL's lack of tweets probably stems from the fact that he was either battling or checking himself out to make sure he didn't have cancer. Uh, John Bradshaw Layfield, great entertaining wrestler, fantastic bad guy. Um, it's nice to see that he got a clean bill of health. Cancer's taking motherfuckers out left and right. And JBL, definitely one of those many memorable performers from the WWE. So glad to say that he got a clean bill of health and props to you for that. In other news, though, Bobby Heenan actually got injured very badly sometime during the last few weeks. Uh, a few weeks ago, he fell and he broke his hip. While he was in rehabilitation, he slipped and fell again, suffered a broken shoulder and a fractured hip. So Bobby Heenan is going to go in for, for surgery for a broken shoulder, and he was, all these injuries forced him out of the NWA Legends fan convention that he was originally supposed to attend in a wheelchair. So definitely get well soon, Bobby the Brain Heenan from My Take Radio. Um, huge Bobby Heenan fan, the Heenan family, King Haku, Andre the Giant, uh, Meng. Holy shit, I can, I can go through a ton of great Bobby Heenan moments. Um, him being put in a weasel costume by the Ultimate Warrior will be one of those moments that I will never forget. His color commentary, of course, with the legendary Gorilla Monsoon was always memorable as well. Bobby Heenan was one of the innovators of the heel commentator. Um, he was really good at rooting for the bad guys, and he actually conveyed genuine emotion. So it's unfortunate that he's actually had so many problems. He's battled cancer and all these injuries. So definitely wish him a speedy recovery. In some TNA news, of course, this coming weekend is the Hardcore Justice pay-per-view dedicated to the memory of, of course, the one and only ECW promotion. They're actually going to do a lot of matches involving some ECW, or ECW originals, some of which over the last few weeks have been announced. 
Dixie Carter's done a great job promoting the event, even announcing some of the wrestlers that are going to be there. Some of the wrestlers you can expect at Hardcore Justice this weekend are going to be Too Cold Scorpio. You're also going to get Tommy Dreamer, Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam, Raven, Team 3D, Rhino, Al Snow, Simon Diamond, Stevie Richards, Axel Rotten, Johnny Swinger. Um, there's rumors of Shane Douglas allegedly being there. Uh, Shane Douglas has gone on record as saying that the only way he will be there is if he gets a chance to wrestle or have a promo against Ric Flair. Ric Flair, for those of you that don't really follow wrestling, has actually talked a lot of shit about Shane Douglas, and of course, Shane Douglas wants to take the opportunity and acknowledge that. And what better forum than a huge tribute pay-per-view to ECW? Some of the wrestlers that I actually want to know if they're going to be there are guys like Just Incredible. Is he going to be there? Uh, one half of the Pitbulls. Um, definitely some cruiserweights like Psychosis. Those guys you can actually use in the X Division. So things like that will definitely be interesting to see. Uh, Perry Saturn, I know, was battling some injuries, so I doubt you'll see Perry Saturn there. But um, definitely, you know, guys like uh, and Dean Malenko you can't have there because he in, he's in WWE right now. But there are so many guys that are part of ECW's history. Um, of course, Sabu is going to be there. It wouldn't be an ECW pay-per-view without Sabu there and Rob Van Dam. So definitely a pay-per-view that I'm, I was on the fence to ordering. I still am to an extent, but not totally just because they're going through such great lengths to promote it and give it justice the correct way. So definitely something to look out for if you're an ECW fan. That pay-per-view is going to be this Sunday um, I believe the start time is going to be 8 p.m., so definitely something to look forward to. In some WWE news, I want to talk about Raw a little bit. Of course, this week's, this week's Raw episode focused on the fact that there was some tension amongst Team John Cena leading up to the SummerSlam pay-per-view. The first match with Edge and Wade Barrett, uh, definitely pretty formulaic, a good match. It continues to showcase why Wade Barrett won the NXT competition. Uh, definitely solid for sure. Um, the Nexus, of course, involved themselves. Uh, the second match of the night was a Divas tag team match, which saw the return of Molina, which is fine. But the match itself, ugh, definitely lots to be desired. Gail Kim and Natalia were the two definite professionals in that match. Jillian definitely delivers her A game, but Tamina is definitely a little green still, needs a little bit more time in the ring for sure. But I think she has the potential to be a force in the near future, especially if she continues to use her superfly Jimmy Snuka-type offense. Uh, Sheamus ended up fighting Goldust, which was a fucking whack fucking match. Uh, the fourth match saw Chris Jericho fight John Cena. Um, of course, once again, very formulaic. Cena won. Jericho dominated the better part of the match. The fifth match, Great Khali fought Ted DiBiase. The Great Khali, of course, won. They're actually trying to tease some sort of a heel turn with the Great Kali aligning with the Nexus. I definitely don't see that happening. The only thing that you can do with the Nexus is add rookies that have been released from the second season of NXT just to continue to play upon the NXT program. And not only that, but it gives those guys some exposure as well. Uh, the sixth match of the night and the main event of the evening was the Miz fighting Randy Orton. Definitely a solid match. The Miz looked like he belonged. 
in the upper echelon of main eventers, so definitely props to The Miz for that. Um, of course, Randy Orton ended up winning with an RKO. He's actually getting really good with delivering the RKO from a, major- from a, a huge assortment of angles, so definitely just adding a little bit of fuel to the fire. Of course, Sheamus showed up after the match and continued to push the inevitable match between Sheamus and Orton at the pay-per-view. Overall, Raw was pretty solid. Not totally terrible, but definitely the whole teasing dissension amongst Team Cena is definitely something that you can expect to see. It's a given. It's one of those things where WWE does not leave anything for you, the viewer, to actually be surprised about. I definitely knew as soon as Edge and Jericho were announced for that team that there was going to be dissension. It was just a matter of fa- of matter of who was going to turn on who. Um, I think it's probably going to be Bret Hart turning. Something tells me it's going to be him. But it, like I said, the huge swerve would be turning Cena. How, whether that happens or not remains to be seen, but something to look forward to when SummerSlam comes around. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk some video games right after this. Hey, everybody, this is Donnie Anderson with the Tumble Game. I'm here with my daughter, Sophia, who has a very special one for all of you. Sophie? Listen to Tumble with Tumble or my daddy will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Live Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Blog Talk Radio Network. All right, we're back. Let's talk some video games. First off, Jason West, Mark Zampella, of course, got the boot for their antics when they were involved with Activision. Needless to say, that it was announced that they will be appearing at QuakeCon 2010. They'll be taking part in a panel discussion entitled Building Blockbusters, along with Tim Willits from id Software and Bethesda's Todd Howard. Speculation is running around that West and Zampella are going to announce some details on the project they've been working on since forming Respawn Entertainment, which thus far has been kept secret. The matter is, one of the matters in regards to that is, can they capture the success of games that were under the Infinity Ward umbrella, or are they going to come out with a brand new, um, a brand new title that uses completely new mechanics? Something definitely to look forward to. It should be interesting to watch QuakeCon unfold. I'm not. I usually don't follow that event because not a huge amount of news comes out of there. But seeing what happens with Jason West and Mark Zampella are definitely going to be interesting for sure. Um, Insomniac announced in its latest newsletter that they will be announcing a new PlayStation 3 project during the Penny Arcade Expo in Boston, a.k.a. PAX. Uh, PAX is going to be taking place September 3rd to the 5th. Fuck, I wish I could go to that. According to what they're saying, this is the statement that they put out, we're bringing our new game to a very special PAX Expo on Saturday evening at 6.30 in the Serpent Theater. G4 TV's Adam Sessler will moderate a panel with key creative talent from Insomniac Games as we discuss and demo our upcoming PlayStation 3 project. Of course, the rumors going about right now is that it's going to be Resistance 3, but again, take that as a rumor for right now. For those of you that are fans of Fable, pre-order incentive got announced today. If you pre-order the game from Stop, you can get a code that allows you to make your own villagers with the Fable 3 Villager Maker. The Maker allows you to choose the face, hair, body, class, and name. The Maker also asks you questions to determine their personality. 
After making and saving your character, because you can only save one, they will appear in-game and give you some quests to do in the game. The creator is already available on the Xbox website, but requires a, co- a code to unlock for use. To check the creator in use, of course, I'll see if I can get a video at some point and post it on the Facebook fan page. I definitely think it's cool that you can create secondary characters for your games and throw them in there and add a different level of play to certain games, but using it as a pre-order incentive is a little stupid, especially because you know that it should be downloadable content, or better yet, it should be included in the fucking game already, and considering that GameStop is using it as incentive for you to wander in there and get this fucking game, fucking no bullshit, but that's a rape stop for you, always continuing to finger fuck the video game community one finger at a time. I think that some of these pre-order bonuses that are put out are totally stupid. Um, the Transformers pre-order bonus I definitely can cite as an example just because at the end of the day, after all those pre-order bonuses were announced for all those retailers, they all came out as downloadable content along with some stages that you can purchase now on the PlayStation Network or Xbox Live. So, once again, GameStop, fucking gamers. StarCraft, of course, is the the new game that everybody's been jerking off to lately. It's a great game for RTS fans. It has nothing but critical acclaim and great feedback from the gaming community. I'm not a PC gamer. I'm not an RTS fan, so I don't give a shit. But one thing I do give a shit about is the fact uh, how much it sold, which is ridiculous. Within 48 hours, the game sold 1.5 million units. According to RaveStop, this is their fastest-selling PC game since World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, sorry, Wrath of the Lich King. These numbers also make StarCraft II the fastest-selling strategy game of all time. We're pleased that so many people around the world have already picked up a copy of this game, and we look forward to welcoming even more players to Battle.net in the coming weeks and months ahead, said Blizzard head Mike Morhaim in a statement. Considering that the genre is only a PC-only title, it's definitely impressive to see 1.5 million units right out of the gate for a game that's only been out such a short period of time. So definitely props to Blizzard for that, and for those of you that are playing StarCraft II and enjoying it, fuck you guys, because I don't give a shit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't, but 1.5 million units is definitely newsworthy, so I had to give credit where credit is due. So again, props to Blizzard. For those of you that are on Facebook 24-7 and tired of the shitty assortment of games put out by Zynga, Take solace in the fact that Atari will soon be bringing 15 to 20 of their Atari games to Facebook. There's no time, time frame that's been listed, but some of the games that they will have out there are going to be Centipede, probably Pac-Man, things like that. It's, it's a given that you're going to see games like that on Facebook just because people are getting tired of Farmville, Frontierville, Fish World, Mall World, fucking Asheville, Sorority House, all that shit. So definitely nice to see some some games that people are familiar with making their way into Facebook, considering how many people are on there at any given moment. I think this is definitely a win-win for Atari, for sure. In some Pokemon news, definitely something new that's going to be happening with the upcoming Pokemon Black and White. The main focus for the main story is only going to feature new creatures. 
after the story is completed, though, the older Pokemon may become available in the wild or be able to be imported. So if you're tired of the same repetitive Pokemon gameplay, look forward to the fact that you'll only be catching new Pokemon and using new Pokemon in the single-player campaign for the upcoming Pokemon Black and White. Uh, Junichi Matsuda of Game Freak said that it's been tough for the staff to design all new Pokemon, but we'll be happy if players enjoy themselves. So, I mean, it's definitely something different to focus completely on new Pokemon, but I actually think that maintaining some of those core Pokemon in there is essential for the gameplay experience just because those are the games that so many people are familiar with. And, of course... It adds a bit of incentive just to allow you to play as the new Pokemon from the start, but you don't want to alienate those tried-and-true names that have made the franchise so legendary. With that said, we're going to bring in our first caller, and of course, to start things off, we got Slick in there. He's going to probably share a little bit of knowledge about the Pokemon situation, and of course, I'm sure he has something to shit on right off the start. So let's bring him in. Slick, what do you got, my friend? What's up, man? What's going on, dude? Uh, far be it for me to stop you from shitting on GameStop, but when when it's not their fault, I got to at least, you know, give it to them that it's not their fault. I was going through, you know, the upcoming games, you know, try to budget shit because I'll be severely broke between September and December. Of course. And I came across Gran Turismo 5. And then I came across the Gran Turismo 5 Collective Edition. Of now, course. I was looking on the on the Best Buy website, so, again, none of this can be blamed on GameStop. Granted, GameStop will give you some extra stuff for, for pre-ordering it, but the Gran Turismo 5 Collective Edition is $100. It gives you, of course, the game. You get a, a die-cast Nissan GTR. I guess, Hot Wheels car. You get a 300-page guide to cars and racing techniques and a stainless steel keychain. Oh, wait, wait, the best part, a voucher for five downloadable cars. And that's the part that is the big finger from Polyphony. Cause of course it is. Coming into GT5, which was announced, I don't know how many years ago, when it was originally announced, I think in yeah, I think it was about 2006 or seven at E3. I remember Morgan Webb saying that there were going to be well over 900 cars in the game, but each and every one of them, after like I don't know how many you might get for free, each and every one of them is downloadable content, which really means that if you're a completist. Gran Turismo is going to cost you a couple thousand, probably over a thousand dollars. You know, before you continue with this, let me tell you something. This is definitely, and I'm going to use Polyphony as an example. This is called, we're going to fucking stop working on the game and go jerk off to some porno and come back and work on the game after a year of layoff. That's really what it is. So they figure all right, people have been clamoring for this game. Let's throw it out there to the masses. Oh, well, what about all these other cars and all these other licensed vehicles that we paid tons of cash to manufacturers to use? Well, we've got to make the money back somehow. Let's use it as downloadable content. 
You know, the issue with that, and we've talked about this before, is there's a, there's a really thin line between fucking gamers over and enhancing gameplay. Let's be realistic. Gran Turismo is a driving simulator. I can be driving a fucking Yugo or a unicycle, and it's going to play the fucking same. It, it, you know, it, the fact, oh, yeah, you get a Scion, or you get a, a Nissan GT, or a Ford Mustang, or a fucking Winnebago. It's not going to take away from the fact that you're driving in fucking circles. It, it's stupid. It is, it is beyond fucking insane that you're going to pay, uh, you know, the game is 60 bucks, but like you said, you're going to pay $1,000 to drive fake cars. $1,000 can buy you a, a beater at least that you can drive for real and get laid. Any, anybody that spends $1,000 on downloadable virtual cars should be kicked right in the nuts. I swear, if the, if the packs are like 10 bucks each, there better be at least 20 cars in a pack. At least. What they'll do is they'll put them out by manufacturer, so they're probably going to have a Nissan pack and a Ford pack and a fucking Volvo pack and a Pontiac pack. And before you know it, you fucking bought every car from every manufacturer and you're still playing the same game. Not for nothing. If you're driving around in a fucking, in, a, in an oval or a semicircle, or something in the shape of Pac-Man's head, you know, I'm just trying to think of funny shapes here, and you're driving around in a Camaro or in a Mustang while you're trying to gain a license, what, what real fun is in that? I played Gran Turismo, it's okay, but what real fun is in that versus a game like Burnout or Blur, which you can see the review on MyTakeRadio.com, or Split Second, which you can also see the review on MyTakeRadio.com. Come on, Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit. Burnout, Blur, Split Second, Mod Nation Racers, 20,000 times more fucking enjoyable than driving around in a car that you'll never afford. You know what that's called? Lease a fake car. That's what you're doing. You're leasing cars with downloadable content because after you sell the game, what are you going to do with a fake fucking Scion? Oh, that, that actually is another thing. If it plays like previous Gran Turismo, that means you got to pay to get cars that you then have to race to actually use. So that's kind of like a it's double figure. Exactly. It's like I paid this money to get these cars, and now i got to unlock them. Because I bet you, you know, then they'll have another thing where you can pay to auto-unlock them. Oh, oh yeah, there's always that. You know, I gotta take a moment and um, first off, I gotta welcome Ant back into the chat. And he made a very valid point. He put that Blur has licensed cars that we'll never afford. And um, my nephew John said, "But they're free." It's true. It's like unless there's an added incentive. To, let me tell you something. In Burnout, when you got certain cars, there was added incentive. Like when they did the movie cars, it was really cool to see that. You know, and it opened up. You know, when you when you bought Big Surf Island. It was an extra fucking game, practically. You know, there, there's, there's, some, there's some validity there. I don't mind paying 10 bucks if it allows me to play the game for a year. But you know what? If you're paying $10 for a pack of cars to drive on the same track that you've already driven with cars that are already in the game, again, 
you're a fucking moron. John said the best you gotta pay for tracks too with Grand Turismo Five. Oh, I you know what? don't okay. see this game making it. I don't. As you know what's gonna as, happen? I, I mean, I love Grand Turismo, and you know, talking like this, it will not get bought by me. Well, you know what? All right, Let, let's look at it from this perspective. You love Gran Turismo. You've played the games, and you've probably enjoyed them to an extent. But be honest. At the end of the day, whether you're driving a Nissan Maxima, a Ford Focus, or a Honda Civic, is it really enhancing gameplay? Only I mean, honestly, they... does it change the game? Only in the sense that, you know, each car handles differently. Okay. But does it add something else, an extra dynamic to the game, other than the car handling differently? The fuck does that mean? Okay, let's say you drive a Camaro, and it has a, it has a slippery ass, to use that term. If you, if you drive the slippery ass Camaro, or you get the awesome Mitsubishi Evo 8 with grip, is it changing the gameplay any other than a little bit of enhancement to control? You know, is it, is it going to open up new courses? Is it going to allow you to possibly damage the cars a little bit differently based on the weight of the vehicles? Is there a real added incentive other than handling? The only incentive I see for Gran Turismo 5 is that you can actually race other people online. I guess this is finally Sony's answer to Forza well, pretty much all the forces, because all the forces are online. Yeah, well, you know what? The fact that they've fucking been sitting on their fucking asses for three years, shoveling the shit to the masses, telling them that this game's going to be the greatest game ever, it's going to be a simulation of you driving on the LIE. That's what it is. It's, it's a simulation of you driving through cross-town cross traffic in any major city in America, whether it's Philly for Ant, New York for me, somewhere in Florida for ARC, it doesn't even matter. It's, it's basically the same shit. Gran Turismo is the equivalent of me driving to work. So fuck that game. Fuck that game and it's overpriced bullshit. They can suck a dick. But um, I actually, I'm glad I had you on. I wanted to ask you about this Pokemon situation. I know okay. that you were saying that they were going to allow you to do both, but... Let, let's, for argument's sake, say that the gameplay only focused on new Pokemon. Do you think that's going to actually, you know, take away some hardcore fans that are going to want to play with the mainstays instead of embracing the new characters? Or do you think that it's just Nintendo's way of kind of introducing new characters to the audience and making you want to use them? No, I think it's great because, I mean, fact. Right now, there's 493 Pokemon. If you play any of the past games after the originals, it's like they've added in each in each generation at least a hundred new ones. But you're seeing so many of the old ones. I was in a, a forum about it uh, earlier today, and somebody was like, "Great, finally I can go in a cave and not worry about having to fight a million Zubats and Geodudes," which in every version of the game, every time you go into a cave, all you see is Dubats and Geodudes. So it means you actually fight, fight something different. And the fact of the matter is, 
It's gonna it's it's gonna be a DS game. It's not gonna be a three DS game. It guarantees connectivity with at least five other cartridges, well, cards, whatever you want to call them. Anybody who's dying to use a Geodude or a Zubat can just transfer it from one of the old games. And pretty much anybody who's gonna get black or white has at least one of those games. Okay. Duly noted. So if you if you get sick of the new ones, by the time you beat like the first or second gym, you're gonna be able to transfer ones from your other games to that one. And like you said, there'll probably be something after you, you know, beat the main story because the, the last few games had what's called the Power Park where you can dump, like, a shitload of them at once and just basically the only point of it is for you to catch them. There's, there's no kind of real fighting involved. You're just catching them. Well, you know, I think that I would have personally, I've, I've played a handful of Pokemon games. My sister actually plays them once in a while. I think she just likes to hear the music playing in the background. But the fact of the matter is I think I would have gone with the rationale of using only new Pokemon because I've seen some of the designs for some of the new ones that they got out. And, you know, if you're making three of them super elusive and super hard to catch, you're going to be wasting time trying to catch ones you already have caught in previous games. So I think that using the import feature is far better in terms of enhancing gameplay than wasting your time catching the same ones you've caught before. Well, the only point of... It it really depends on the player, and each player will do it differently because catching a new one versus importing one, if somebody likes to battle competitively, catching a new one allows you to breed it and, you know make it stronger and all this stuff, and if you didn't actually do that with the old one, then it's not as good a fighter as one that you could catch brand new, blah, blah, blah. Ah. The game has, like, a million different dynamics, and that's why it appeals to so many people, because everybody can pretty much play it their own way. Yep, that is true. Well, I I figured it was worth getting your take on it just because... Like I said, I've played it casually once or twice, and and I can see the the enjoyment in the game. But the the idea of going with completely new characters definitely intrigued me. I, it, it's like playing Street Fighter Four with only new characters and taking all the staples out. That would be interesting. I mean, they said that you'll only encounter new Pokemon, but you're going to run into trainers and gym leaders left and right. Who's to say that they're using the new ones? There you go. Makes sense. All right. Anything else to add, my friend? No, not for right now. All right, dude. I'm going to wrap up these game news and head right into the movies. Uh, I'll probably call back All for right. that. You got Later. it, brother. Later. Later. All right, and a little bit of Arkham Asylum news, of course. The Arkham Has Returned trailer that was posted on MyFakeRadio.com a couple of months back has a couple of little nuggets of news that were released this week. Um, it seems that the sequel to the Batman Arkham Asylum is, uh, Arkham Asylum, excuse me, is going to be titled Batman Arkham City. 
Uh, the game is going to have Batman going through the city, which is a new maximum security home for Gotham's criminals. The prison is described as a walled prison in the heart of Gotham City that is heavily fortified. Of course, the game is going to draw on an all-star cast of classic characters and murderous villains from the Batman universe, as well as a vast range of new and enhanced gameplay features to deliver the ultimate experience as the Dark Knight. So for those of you that have been seeing footage of Batman fighting in the city, it's because they pretty much did kind of like a, like a District B-13 where they walled up a portion of Gotham City and just threw all the bad guys in there. I've seen pictures already with Catwoman possibly being in the game, Mr. Freeze, of course, Killer Croc, and all your regular staples, uh, the Penguin as well. So it should be interesting to see what they do with Arkham City. I'm definitely intrigued at doing the Batman missions in a more urban environment, hiding in buildings, things of that nature. It should be interesting to see that play out. And that will be coming out in fall 2011, of course, on the PS3, Xbox 360, and the PC. The last bit of gaming news I wanted to talk about is not really gaming-related, kind of leaning towards tech, tech, tech issues and tech news, but, of course, you know that Apple is kicking ass left and right uh, gaming-wise and, of course, from a PC's perspective by releasing the iPad, which, of course, has become a great medium for reading e-books, playing certain casual games, and other nonsense that they just threw in there for you to use the iPad. But it seems that Motorola is going to be partnering with Verizon Files as well as Google to create a 10-inch tablet computer that will, use, that will run on Android software and it's supposed to be lighter and thinner than the iPad and allow for connectivity with the Files broadband broadcasting system, whether that means streaming TV directly to the quote-unquote uh, G-pad, which is what, I, what I'll call it for now. Obviously, it's being created to compete against the iPad, which it's interesting because I recently made the switch from Apple to Android basically because... I've been using the Apple phone, the Apple iPhone, pretty much first-generation iPhone on T-Mobile for a long time. I've come to the realization that AT&T is not going to be releasing at any time soon or if ever an iPhone on my carrier, which is T-Mobile, and odds are Verizon will probably get it next. So rather than sit here and use the crippled iPhone that can only use a quarter of the functionality based on my provider, I decided to make the switch to Android and it's been a little bit of a love-hate relationship based on the fact that the phone, uh, the Android platform is so open, which I'm not used to. But in terms of gaming, I actually saw an NES emulator called Nestoid, which can run on any Android-powered device that can actually allow you to play any game in the Nintendo library, and it looks really, really crystal clear. So definitely something that caught my attention for sure. Um, probably going to have to buy the Nestoid app, which is like three bucks, and of course you get your Nintendo ROMs and you throw them on there. Definitely uh, something interesting to see from Android and from Google, the fact that they're actually partnering with a company like Files and a provider like Verizon to make this brand new 10-inch tablet computer. What this means to gamers, who knows? But I think that the open end of the Android platform and the fact that so many individual creators can put content out for it without an approval process like the App Store opens up a lot of gates for interesting games. I've seen some really cool games on the on the Android platform. I haven't played any yet. Uh, maybe I'll pick up the NES Troid in a couple of weeks and I'll discuss it on MyTakeRadio.com 
and I'll also discuss it on the show as well, but I think it's definitely a step in the right direction for casual gamers to get another piece of technology that will allow you to read, read books, your RSS feed, watch videos, and play a couple of casual games, and it's not too heavy, and you can carry it in any kind of a small book bag or pouch. So definitely interesting, but the big factor is going to be price. And if it's cheaper than the iPad and provides just as much functionality, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction for sure. I'm going to take a commercial break. We're going to talk some games right after this. Oh, hey, little girl. What are you doing? Listening to Tumbling with Tumbleweed. What are you doing, old man? Hey, should you be listening to a show like that? Mind your own business. Hey, aren't you Donnie Tumbleweed? I certainly am, and thanks for listening. Tuesday nights live on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And we're back. Let's let's talk some movies. First off, IDW's comic series The Lore. Guess where it's coming? To the big screen. Why wouldn't it? Because why can't we just go and pick comic books up off the shelf and make really, really fucking lame movies about them. What the hell is Ant putting in there again with the really low commercials even though nobody really cares about them? What the fuck, Ant? <sighs> ah, the commercials are low. Duly noted. That'll be fixed in post-production. Sorry about that. I'll uh, send a message to Anderson to send me new commercials with some volume. Um, anyway, as I was saying, I got a little bit distracted with the chat. Um... This IDW comic series, The Lore, created by T.P. Louise and Ashley Wood, is reportedly, of course, heading to the big screen. But here's the worst part. It's being produced by the guys that created Cats and Dogs and Jonah Hex. So it's already guaranteed to suck. It is going to suck ass. Um, you know, I can, I can really open up on Hollywood right now as they continue to rape comic books and do really piss-poor adaptations, but they have given me hope with movies like Scott Pilgrim that actually look promising, so I'll reserve judgment on this, but when you're talking about the guy that produced Cats and Dogs and Jonah Hex, you're not giving me much faith to work with. But in some other comic-related news, it's looking like Robert Rodriguez may be directing Deadpool, which, of course, is going to be the spinoff from Wolverine Origins, Rodriguez actually did confirm that he received the script, which was written by Zombieland's Rhett Reese, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, but has not yet decided if he would direct the film. He's actually really busy working on Spy Kids for Armageddon and, of course, working on promoting Machete. I think that Robert Rodriguez would be an ideal director for the Deadpool character, given the uniqueness of Deadpool from breaking the fourth wall to witty dialogue to a very easy storyline that can be done because Deadpool, the majority of his storylines are, are really nonsense. I got to call it like I see it. His stories are nonsense sometimes. It's him just wandering around getting himself into shit. And that's not really a bad thing, but you need the right director to convey that on the silver screen, and I think Robert Rodriguez does a bang-up job with that. I mean, look at Sin City and, and the great job he did with that. So... I'm going to definitely be watching this particular piece of news. I like some of Robert Rodriguez's work, and I think that Deadpool would be a fitting character for him to work with for sure. Uh, Inception continued 
to just trample everything in the box office this week, you can check out the Inception review done by Slick on MyTakeRadio.com. Inception was number one again for the third straight week, $27.5 million. It's made $193 million total. That's a drop of 36%, but it had a budget of $150 million, so definitely successful. Opening at number two was Dinner for Schmucks, which looks fucking atrocious. Paul Rudd plays the same guy in every fucking movie, and I'm sorry to say, but Steve Carell is not that fucking funny. He's really not. He's really not that funny. Anybody who sits there and goes, Steve, anybody that says Steve Carell is funnier than, let's, let's say Jim Carrey is on crack. Jim Carrey on his best day is three times funnier than Steve Carell. Steve Carell is only funny on The Office. That's about it. He's not that funny. And Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd is a, a cheaper version of Vince Vaughn. Plays the straight guy in every movie to whatever comedy lead is spearheading the project. I don't understand how it even got number two. But that, that, that's people for you. Angelina Jolie's Salt dropped to number three, made $19.3 million. It's grossed $70.8 million on a $100 million budget. Hasn't broken even yet. Definitely successful, but not not enough to break even. I think that it'll probably break even in at, in at minimum at least five weeks. So we'll see how it pans out later on in the month. Slipping to number four was Despicable Me with $15.5 million. It's made 190.3 on a $70 million budget. So sequels, definitely. Spinoffs, definitely as well. Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. Ugh. Why is this even in Why is this anywhere near the top ten? Why? <sighs> Nonetheless, opened at number five with $12.5 million. It's considered a disappointment. You think? I think the, pr- the premise of the movie was a disappointment. That the fil- it was expected that the film would, would bring in $20 million, especially in 3D theaters. It had a budget of $85 million. All right. Hold the phone a second. Let me get this straight. It cost $85 million to make dogs and cats talk. Really? Dogs and cats talking cost $85 million? I don't even know what humans are casted in that movie. Can somebody, can somebody pull up an IMDb and give me a list of anybody of note that is in this fucking movie? Anyone. Anyone. I, it, it could be fucking Lenny Kravitz, for all I care. Who? Who? Oh, fuck that. Not even the fact that it's a sequel to a movie that's like five years old. Because the Cats and Dogs movie came out, I'd say, at least five years ago. You're doing a sequel to a five-year-old movie, and you're spending $85 million on it during a recession, and then you're upset when the movie doesn't make $20 million. It's a movie about cats fighting dogs. Who gives a shit? Oh, fuck me, and fuck you, Hollywood. Zac Efron's emo Charlie St. Cloud opened at number six with $12.1 million. Um, it had a budget of $44 million. I guarantee you this is being seen by the same girls that like Twilight and the same chubby chasers that enjoy Robert Pattinson are probably in the theater 
tissue in hand crying about Zac Efron playing baseball with his dead brother. Who gives a shit? Toy Story 3 dropped to number 7 in its seventh weekend with $5 million. It's made $389.7 million from a budget of $200 million. That's number 11 on the all-time domestic gross list behind Transformers Revenge of the, of the Fallen. Grown Ups dropped to number 8. It's made $150.7 million on a $70 million budget. Nicolas Cage of the Sorcerer's Apprentice dropped to number 9, $4.3 million, 51.9 overall. The film had a budget of 150. Box office bomb, definitely. And of course, the Eclipse Saga clutching on number 10, $4 million. You would have think that every girl in America had seen this movie by now. The film has brought in $288.2 million on a $68 million budget, and it's just $8 million behind New Moon's total gross at this point. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. The, the tweens that are watching Twilight are the same tweens that are watching Charlie St. Cloud. It is ridiculous. Well, we got our first piece of what-the-fuck news in this week's movie segment with the following. Sylvester Stallone recently discussed the possibility of a Rambo prequel. No, not a sequel, a prequel. The origin of John Rambo, the prequel. Nonetheless, he said the following, I certainly think that this is worth pondering because it's intriguing to find the whys and the wherefores of how people have come, have come to become what they are. I'm reading this verbatim. He put whys and wherefores. The traumas, the loss, and the tragedy of being in Vietnam could certainly be a great challenge for a young actor. And, would, and it would be ironic that Rambo directs a younger Rambo after having played him for 20-plus years. Really? Rambo the prequel? Oh, holy shit. I should have read that whole statement from Stallone in his voice. But, but I just didn't have it in me, and I'd probably lose my voice halfway through. So let me get this straight. You want to do a prequel to a character whose story is pretty much unfolded over, I don't know, four movies? What, even, what else can you do? I mean, don't get me wrong. If you do a prequel and you make it as violent as Rambo, maybe I'll entertain it. I'll entertain the possibility. But you know what? You're going to pick some fucking twink to play Rambo. Rambo's going to be played by Taylor Lautner, because you know what? That's what Hollywood has come down to. Llama Face is going to play Rambo. Because that, you know, the shitty thing is, that's what will happen. Taylor Lautner will play fucking Rambo. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you. It'll be, it'll be him or, or, or some twink like him, some, some llama-faced douche is going to be playing Rambo, because, because that's what Hollywood's all about now. It's all about soft little, soft little douchey twinks that can play him. Uh, it's ridiculous. Nonetheless, I figured I would uh, read that for sure. But it gets better. Some other what-the-fuck news. Of course, I said a couple of weeks ago that Guillermo del Toro was working on doing a new Van Helsing film. But it seems that Del Toro left the project to work on a new movie called Mountains of Madness. Here's what happens. The Van Helsing project has been picked up by Tom Cruise to produce. 
But not only does he want to produce, but Tom Cruise wants to star in this project. So let me get this straight. Tom Cruise wants to play Van Helsing. Is he going to put fucking lips in his shoes? Are you kidding me? He's fucking old. What kind of a Van Helsing is he going to play? Is he going to play Ethan Hunt Van Helsing? Like, what the fuck else? Oh, fuck me. And fuck Hollywood for this shit, too. Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman was moderately interesting. It was moderately amusing. But the fact that you're going to go and dredge up another Van Helsing project, and worst of all, give it to Tom Cruise of all people. (sighs) But on a brighter note, they're working on the sequel for Sherlock Holmes, and Dr. Moriarty is rumored to be played by Daniel Day-Lewis. So that is definitely going to be awesome. Daniel Day-Lewis is a fantastic, fantastic bad guy. And I think that if he plays Moriarty the same way he played the lead character in There Will Be Blood, Sherlock Holmes 2 is definitely going to be kick-ass for sure. But the What the Fuck movie news doesn't end with Van Helsing or a prequel to Rambo. No. It's actually ending with this. There is a report that Justin Bieber will be starring as himself in a new movie on the story of his life in 3D. Due out February 11th, Paramount brings us this movie that will include scenes recorded on Bieber's current tour and other moments from his life so far. Davis Guggenheim, who did an inconvenient truth, is in talks to direct the film with Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, and Island Deaf Man Chairman, Island Def Jam Chairman L.A. Reid producing. I'm not even fucking kidding. You want a 3D movie telling the life story of the Beeb. He is a fucking baby. He probably doesn't even have pubes yet. He's probably never seen a 70s bush. And you're going to do a story about his life, and, and it's in 3D. What are you going to make in 3D? His fucking blown out hairdo? Justin Bieber looks like a Justin Bieber looks like a lesbian. He really does. It's terrible, and you know, I'm not I'm not saying it to be derogatory towards gays, but he really does look like a lesbian. It's 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 terrible. And you're going to do a biography on the Beeb in 3D, because you know you got to call him the Beeb, because that's he's mainstream now. He's not Justin Bieber. He's the Beeb, because that that's how it is. And, and I guarantee you that it will just be a line of little 12-year-old girls going, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's just going to be the story of the Beeb unfolding in 3D. It's going to be half an hour of him trying to style his hair so he can walk out of his house. That's going to be the first half hour of the movie. Oh, fuck. God damn it, Hollywood. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to do a 3D movie about the Beeb. Why? Uh, why? You know what? Why can't the world end before this comes out? Why can't January 31st be the end of the world so I don't have to hear about a 3D movie about Justin Bieber's life? Uh, it, it, fuck is that abysmal. Variety, via IGM, is reporting that MGM is looking to bring the classic TV series, The Outer Limits, to the big screen. 
It's the report is saying that Saws Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan will write the script. So let me get this straight. You're going to bring back The Outer Limits, and you're going to put it on the big screen, like Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. What do you expect to gain from that? It's like Tales from the Hood for old people. It's like the Twilight. It's like a cheap Twilight Zone. It, 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 graphic novels, lame biographies, and now old TV shows are continuing to be raped and pillaged. I thought that with the A-Team we would be okay for a while in terms of TV shows being made into movies, but oh no, The Outer Limits is next. All right, to offset the fucking bad taste from the Justin Bieber movie, um, Batman 3 rumors. Right now there's a couple of them that I'm going to discuss. Uh, rumors, of course, are running rampant that the Riddler will be the villain in the next Batman film along with Catwoman which should be interesting, according to... And, and I don't even want to use this as a source, but according to Comic Book Movie, they're saying that the, they actually saw a script that references the Selena Kyle character as well as Edward Nigma. So with that being said, expect the next two villains to be the Catwoman and the Riddler. How legit that is, I can't guarantee it's 100% true, so take it with a grain of salt for now, but... I'll try and get some more news on it in the coming weeks and discuss it in upcoming episodes. For those of you that are huge fans of the G.I. Joe movie with Channing Tatum, take heart in the fact that Steven Sommers will be coming back to direct G.I. Joe 2. And the project is being written by Zombieland's Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. These guys are getting work left and right. I don't want to totally shit on the G.I. Joe movie in theory, solely in theory, it had some potential. The, the, the Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow were really the high points of that movie. Um, Destro and the Baroness, eh. The origin of Cobra Commander, ugh, not that great. But they want to go with a second one, and Channing Tatum's put his name to it. But you know what? What the fuck else is he doing? So G.I. Joe 2, folks, definitely in the pipe. Now, in those other... In that other bit of Batman 3 news, it seems that according and it, the news sources sometimes that, that are used for some of these articles really bug me out. And you can take this, like I said, with a grain of salt in terms of its legitimacy. But according to an intern at Warner Brothers, we're using interns as sources now, all three Inception stars are in the running to play the Riddler in Batman 3. Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Tom Hardy are all under consideration for the role. Christopher Nolan does have a tendency to reuse actors, which adds a little weight to the rumor. With that being said, I'd actually like to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt play the Riddler, but on the same token, I can see Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing the Joker if they wanted to bring the character back. I think Leonardo DiCaprio playing the Riddler would be too huge of an actor to play such a secondary role, and once again, it may overshadow... Christian Bale as Batman, but I don't really care who they cast as the Riddler or who they cast as Catwoman. I really just want them to do something about Batman's fucking voice. Fuck. It's always like, swear to me. It's like, it's like he's faking it. It's like, where is he? It's like, it's like, dude, stop. It's like Batman with a fucking speech impediment. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, like, 
instead of just, I understand you want to do the alter ego having a different voice. But somebody talk to fucking Christian Bale and tell him that you can do something else to change your voice. Like me. We're talking about this right now. But on the same token, I can also take the opportunity to continue doing the broadcast like this. Or I can continue doing the broadcast like this as well. It's all a matter of octaves. If you lower your voice an octave or two, you'll sound a little differently. The fact that you want to go with that, that raspy, Clint Eastwood-sounding shit is ridiculous. I, I, I really am waiting for Batman to just be like, do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? Like, that's what I'm waiting for. That is what I'm fucking waiting for. Somebody, get him a dialogue coach and show him how to bring his voice down a couple of octaves to differentiate his voice from Bruce Wayne's. That's all you got to do. Holy shit. Ugh. I wouldn't consider this next piece of news what the fuck news, but I definitely would consider it interesting. Rumor has it that Quentin Tarantino could be directing and co-writing a new big screen version of The Shadow. The Shadow, if you remember, which I'm more than sure some of you don't, was a... Uh, you know, a superhero-based movie with Alec Baldwin as the Shadow. Um, definitely, that was a movie that kind of put the ideas and the idea in people's heads that Alec Baldwin would make a good Batman. I really don't dislike the, the movie The Shadow. It was a fun and interesting movie. Definitely a little too pulp for mainstream comic fans and mainstream audiences, but definitely a character that has tons of potential. Um, I think that. If done right, I, I mean, Tarantino takes some of these really offbeat and crazy projects and does such a kick-ass job with them that I'm not going to be totally against the concept. And like I said, the Shadow is a very unique and very, very tortured character. He's really kind of like a, like a poor man's Batman, if you want to use that uh, rationale. But if you get an opportunity, definitely check out The Shadow. It's a, it's a good movie, and you'll understand why, I, based on that, I thought Alec Baldwin back then would make a good Batman. Definitely better than The Phantom with Billy Zane. If you want to talk about a real shitty movie, watch The Phantom with Billy Zane. That movie fucking sucked. Oh, my God. Fucking awful. But the last, two, the last three pieces of news I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy is the following. Disney apparently has announced and moved the release date for Monsters, Inc. 2 from November 16, 2012, to November 2, 2012. Oh, wow, a whole 14 days earlier. The new release date is exactly 11 years after the release date of the original. Why 11 years, of all things? Why don't you do it on the 10-year anniversary? 10 years is a lot, a lot bigger and, and, a, and a bigger milestone to announce. Oh, it's the 11-year anniversary of a movie that made us a shit ton of money. Nobody gives a fuck about the 11th year. It's the 10th year that matters, but... Monsters, Inc. 2 is just going to be another excuse for Pixar to continue cashing in on some of their great franchises. And not for nothing, I particularly like Monsters, Inc. So I don't, I'm not totally against the second one. Fuck, if Toy Story 3 is as good as they say, I can only hope that Monsters, Inc. 2 is just as good. In some other remake news, they're going to be doing a remake of An American Werewolf in London. It's going to be written by the number 23 writer, Fernley Phillips, and the remake is going to have a modern spin on the franchise. 
and will apparently be quite different from the original John Landis film. Once again, taking a movie that is a perennial classic, this, this, this movie is just, when you talk about werewolf flicks, you talk about the howling, you talk about the wolfman, you talk about dog soldiers, but the one movie that comes up often in terms of werewolf transformations and, and, and the creepiness involved in them was an American werewolf in London. And the fact that they're actually entertaining a remake of this movie definitely is going to be ridiculous for sure. And I wouldn't even be surprised that they, did, that they don't release it in 3D. Because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't Hollywood continue to just fuck people over with more movies that don't need to be made in 3D? I will tell you this, though. If you've seen The American Werewolf in London and the one transformation scene where his fingers are extending, I think that if you recreated that and did it in 3D, it would definitely be a cool effect for sure. So we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. I'm going to close out the movie news with this last bit of news, and actually it's coming from the TV side of things, and it is this. Deadline is reporting that NBC has bought a script for a show entitled Zombies vs. Vampires to be produced by Warner Brothers. TV and McGee's production company, Wonderland, are going to be doing the project. The show is described as a fun, buddy cop show that is set in a world where zombies are a part of society controllable with medication. The show's two leads are cops assigned to a squad specifically formed to deal with zombie crime, and one of them is secretly a vampire. Holy shit. Has the, has, the, has, the, has the dumb fuckery of Hollywood slowly made its way down the toilet tubes into television now? You're going to do a buddy comedy with vampires and zombies. Are you fucking serious? The, the worst part is that McGee is involved. Ugh. You know, he forms the holy trinity of movie fail. You got McGee, Brett Ratner, and Michael Bay. They fucking form the megazord of over stu- overly stupid films. That's what they do. They form the fucking Voltron of fail. And you know what? We can even throw Uwe Bowl in there. If you want to go with Voltron, you can throw Uwe Bowl in there and M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong in there. You can throw all of those motherfuckers in there to form the Voltron of failure. Because that's what it is. It is really terrible that you want to do a show with zombies versus vampires. And it's going to involve zombie crimes. Oh, wow, this, this zombie's leg got eaten. Who's the perpetrator? Like, are those going to be the plots that we're going to be looking at? Somebody's brain was found eaten in an alley. Who should we ask? Wow, let's interrogate all those guys wandering down the block going, Ugh, Ugh. Excuse me, sir. Do you know what happened to this woman who was found dead last week? Her brain seems to be missing. Uh, uh, uh. Like, really? Like, uh, fuck. We really, we really are fucking damned in terms of programming. When, when, when you're coming up with zombies versus, va- versus vampires, why don't you just do a show about pirates versus ninjas? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just do pirates come to Japan to rape and pillage 
and they have to go to war with, you know, Japanese overlords who have armies of ninjas at their disposal. You can fucking put that shit on HBO and make it ultra-violent like Spartacus. And I guarantee you, it'll have far more of an audience than zombies versus fucking vampires. Ugh. Yeah, I knew somebody was going to mention Deadliest Warrior. Deadliest Warrior kind of plays on the realism of both warriors. I'm just talking about just ultra-violence and ridiculousness. Ugh. You know what? I, I, I'm, that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the show for this week. I'm not even joking. That is the show. That is all 60 minutes of this week's broadcast. Um, before I wrap up the show for this week, I definitely want to take the opportunity, since he's in the chat, to welcome Ant officially as a My Take Radio staff member. Ant has already done reviews for Scott Pilgrim, the comic series, Blur, and, and for Predators as well. Uh, definitely take the opportunity, if you haven't already, and check out some of Ant's work on MyTakeRadio.com. And, of course, you can also send any feedback via the comment section for each of his articles or on the Facebook fan page. So definitely would like to welcome Ant to the My Take Radio family and look forward to his interesting take on everything in the world of games and movies, and even some comics as well. With that being said, I do want to put out there that I am looking for a writer to cover MMA at least two columns a month, um, definitely similar to the way we do things at My Take Radio. It would be interesting to see some other people's takes on MMA just because I feel that I haven't been giving that section of the broadcast enough coverage. So if you enjoy MMA and you watch it on a on a pretty regular basis and would like to write for My Take Radio, definitely uh, submit a sample and send it to mtrhost at gmail.com for sure. And uh, we'll check it out. And if we like what you have to offer, we'll, we'll, we'll add you to the growing MTR family. Uh, there's a couple of people already that I had taken into consideration based on some stuff on Twitter. Um, I have to definitely look at it a little bit critically just because some of these people were coming from other sites wanting to write for MTR, and I felt that it would be a disservice to some of the sites that I actually know the, uh, the owner's person, you know, on a casual basis to have their writers write for my site and cover the same thing that's covered on there. So please, if you do write for any other sites, please make sure it is okay with the site lead or site mod um, in terms of writing for our site. So again, if you'd like to write for the MMA section of My Take Radio, by all means, forward a sample of your work to mtrhost at gmail.com. Also looking for somebody to add a little bit to the wrestling section. Usually Bronx handles that, but you know, much like me, he is caught up in a lot of real-world stuff, and definitely he submits really great posts. It's just a matter of, you know, time is definitely not on his side. So if you've got a little bit more free time out there and you want to share your views on wrestling with the rest of the MTR fan base, by all means, same thing. Send a sample of your work, or just if you have any questions, send that to mtrhost at gmail.com. With that said, I am going to give a couple of plugs, and we're going to wrap things up. Got to give a shout-out, of course, to RazorClothing.tv. That's Razor Rob's clothing company. Check it out if you're a fan 
uh, MMA clothing similar to Tap Out or Affliction. Definitely not as douchey, for, for sure. And above all else, it's supporting a friend of the show, which is Razor Rob McCullough. So definitely check that out at RazorClothing.tv. If you're a fan of everything that My Take Radio does, you definitely want to check out NortheastWasteland.com. Uh, Kai Davey, who's been on the show a couple of times already, um, has done a really great job on his site. You can also become a fan on Facebook. Look for Northeast Wasteland on Facebook as well. Also want to give a shout-out to Branded Branded Barron, who has a banner on MyTakeRadio.com. Check out out his clothing offerings at Branded, B-R-A-N-D-E-D, Barron, B-A-R-O-N.com. Of course, Austin Creed needs a shout-out, especially now that he's heading to the WWE. Stop by his page, GoCreedGo.com. Let him know you heard about him from My Take Radio and show your support. Of course, Doc's Vitamin Water from the Deadliest Warrior crew, Dr. Armand Dorian's Vitamin Water Drink with Reservatol. It's drinkdocs.com. And, of course, Max Geiger's Video Game Project at GiantSparrow.com. GirlGamer.com, as always, for supporting My Take Radio. Same thing with Gaming Angels. I believe Trina from Gaming Angels should be my guest next Thursday. We're actually going to be discussing video games, and she is an MMA fan, so she will be probably sharing her thoughts on UFC 117 as well. So that will be something that hopefully will be happening next Thursday. I was actually supposed to be joined this week by Vince from Film Drunk. There was a miscommunication, and I didn't get to contact him in time to confirm, so definitely something for the near future. You can check out filmdrunk.com for his fucking take on Hollywood, which is just as vicious as mine. That's filmdrunk.com, and you can look for Film Drunk on Facebook. Shout out to the MMA Gospel Crew. You can catch their show Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can also, for other MMA news, head over to mmavalor.com. Can't forget the Darksiders crew, haydendalton.wordpress.com and Darksiders.com. Of course, those guys are working on Darksiders 2, and I'm hoping to have them back closer to release date or at least when they're allowed to discuss the game publicly, so definitely check that out for sure. BGNRadio.com, of course, huge supporters of the show. Listen to their shows on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and you can see their show schedule at BGNRadio.com for Showtimes for VGN Radio and Cleveland Sports Radio. Donnie Anderson's Tumbling with Tumbleweed is Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And, of course, a shout-out to the Born Stubborn crew. Blaine is doing a kick-ass job with BornStubbornRadio.com, and he's also working on creating the new layout for MyTakeRadio.com 3.0, so definitely stop by BornStubbornRadio.com and check out their show. Of course, OC Remix for their kick-ass music. 411 Mania for their great wrestling news, um, MMAJunkie.com for their great MMA news, and FilmDrunk.com, of course, needs another shout-out because they're just fucking ridiculous with their movie news. With that said, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 54 for Thursday, August 5th, 2010. Again, if you want to email for the writing gig or if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, you can email me at mtrhost at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account. It's twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25. Or you can follow the show account. It's twitter.com slash mytakeradio. You can also follow Slick on Twitter. He's at MTRSlick. 
You can follow my fiance Andrea. It's Andrea underscore MTR. You can also follow Ant on Twitter. He is Guan Thuey. If you do not know how to spell that, I will put that in the show notes. Or you can also check out, probably I will be adding the Twitter names to the writer's bios in the next few hours. So definitely stop there as well so you can follow all of the MyTake Radio family and share your feedback with all of us. If you're still playing around on MySpace, and I guarantee you probably five or ten, five to ten of you still are, head over to myspace.com slash mytakeradio, send a friend request to show your support. And last but not least, Facebook fan page, 245 fans. Help us hit 250 by continuing to spread the word. That's facebook.com slash mytakeradio. That's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. And, of course, I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Taking us out this week is going to be OC Remix and their Super Mario Brothers 3 Pipes Remix by 7th Epic. You can check that out at ocremix.org. See you all next week.